And for climate change, biblically, climate change. Let me give you a scripture in Genesis to forward to uh, Mr. Who's our president, Mr. Biden? We'll, we'll read the text in just a moment. I just want to read this verse. It's always sort of caught my attention. Genesis, first book in the Bible, it's easy to find. It comes right before the book of Revelation. Genesis chapter 1. No, chapter 8, excuse me. Verse 22. While the earth remaineth, now it's been remaining all these years, right? Seed time and harvest, sowing crops, harvesting crops, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That's the biblical answer to climate change. Why they get so frustrated and worried about things that the world's going to burn up. If the world's going to burn up, God allowed it to happen. But it's right in God's hands and He'll take care of it. But sometimes they just fight things. They just, they're biblically ignorant. And they're getting more ignorant. Is that a word? More ignorant as the years go by, it seems like. But I want to talk to you about spiritual climate change in the book of Acts, chapter 2 tonight. Chapter 2. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Go down to verse 41. We'll make a reference back to chapter 1 in just a moment, the Lord willing. Verse 41, Then they gladly received, that's the people that Peter was preaching to, and were baptized the same day, were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that makes 3,120 that were saved, 120 to start with, about 120 in the upper room. So that's a pretty good increase right quickly. And they continued steadfastly, underscore that phrase, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. May God add His blessings to the reading of the Word of God. Climate for change in the church. Father, thank You for the Word of God that has an answer to all things. Sometimes we search and we look and we try and we try to find this or that. But the simplicity of the Word of God is beyond measure even though it's deep in many places that we can't quite understand it, there's enough simple truths to be able to apply to our lives that we can understand it. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to gain the truth tonight that will be a help to us along the way. I need extra help from above. I yield myself to you the best way I know how. Pray for the Spirit of God to dwell upon my lips, upon this tongue. And Lord, may I say only that which needs to be said. Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me, I yield myself to you tonight. In Jesus' name and for His sake, Amen. Amen. May be seated. 
When you read the book of Acts, you find the church in transition, as many of you know. And Jesus had told them to dwell in Jerusalem in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I want you to go wait for the promise of the Father, which saith me, he hath heard me, heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then he said, but ye shall receive power, verse 8, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world or the earth. In chapter 2, that's transpired. The day of Pentecost came in chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as as a rushing wind, mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. And it set, up each, it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a good word, good phrase. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I believe it was David Wrights who made the little plaque. Is it still up front? The Spirit is welcome at this place. Is that what it says? I'm glad the Holy Ghost of God is welcome at this place. I tell you what would change the atmosphere of our church is for us to welcome the Holy Ghost to this place. The Holy Ghost changes the whole atmosphere. He did in the book of Acts. Now Jesus said, I've got to go back to heaven. I've got things I've got to do. I've got to go sit down at the right hand of majesty. I'm going to be the intercessor for all mankind. So I've got my job been completed. It is finished. He cried on the cross of Calvary. And then he died. He bowed his head on the apostle's chest, gave up the ghost and died. And they took his body down from the old rugged cross, placed it in a sepulcher, and there three days later he arose from the dead. I believe he stayed in the grave 72 hours personally, and like Jonah stayed three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. I believe Jesus stayed 72 hours in the, in the heart of the earth. But after 72 hours and three days and three nights, he arose from the dead. And he's alive forevermore. And for 40 days and 40 nights he showed himself mightily, uh, and many infallible proofs that he had risen from the dead. I know it's ten more days they were to wait for the wait for the coming of the day of Pentecost. It's fifty days for the resurrection that the day of Pentecost would come. Be a great day on the calendar for the Jews. Always is, always was a great day for them to, for the, for something to happen. And here it was on the day of Pentecost when the day was fully come, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It'll never happen again. Calvary will never happen again. One time Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He'll never die again. Next time he comes, he's coming not as a little baby. He's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming to take over this country and take over this world. And he's going to build his kingdom. The millennial reign shall reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. He's not coming as a little baby. He's coming as King of Kings. So let's get ready for that. But he came the first time as a little bit of baby and lived for 33 years and died on a whole rugged cross. Went to, an empty, went to a tomb and emptied that tomb, came forth victorious and told them to wait in Jerusalem. Gave the promise that the Holy Ghost would come. And on that glorious day, the Holy Ghost filled the, those disciples that were there. There was about 120, verse 14 of chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer. Now, if you get everybody one accord, that's a blessing. You know, have a good atmosphere. Are we all in one accord tonight? Let me just say it one more time. I did this a couple weeks ago. We can do it all in unison. I sort of, everybody together now. I love you, preacher. 
I love you also. That's good. That's real good. Anybody couldn't say it, go ahead and say it. Or just say, preacher, I hate your guts. And I'll turn back around and say, I hate your guts too. Now let's get over with it. We shouldn't hate anybody. Let's love each other. Let's love each other. They were the one accord. That doesn't mean a car. They, they was, it means they were getting together along and things in common. They were one accord. It means they're all exactly alike. But you've got one accord in prayer. They're getting ready to go before the Father in supplication, additional prayer, adding to it with great stress and great agony of soul with the women. And this struck me in studying. And the Mary and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brethren. They were in the upper room, along with the apostles, the, the 11 that were there. Judas, by this time, had committed suicide. And the 11 apostles, and of course, they would pray and seek another man to replace him. And it fell upon Matthias, verse 26, a little bit later on. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And the Bible prophesied that a sword would go through her soul. I thought about Mary quite a bit this afternoon. Now, I don't put her on the pedestal that some religions would. But I do want to revere the Virgin Mary, a young lady who was willing to take the scoffing and the mockery of a society who thought she was pregnant out of wedlock. And the young lady who saw was highly favored by God. So she had to be a pretty good girl and a, and a beautiful young lady. And some think she was 15 or 16 years of age. I don't know about that, but perhaps she was. And she was favored to bring forth the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have no virgin birth, we have no salvation. That's right. Because that DNA that comes down through the bloodstream of the man, and I'm glad that all that's been corrupted through Adam, the first Adam, I'm glad, thank God, through the second Adam, there's a pure line that's never known sin. And can you imagine Mary raising a boy who never sinned? Now, some of you may think you've got a kid that's never sinned. You fooled. You're going to have the shock of your life before it's over with. But Mary raised a boy, including her other kids that she had with Joseph later. And all those children, Jesus never said one time, never told a lie. How many of your children have ever lied? All of them. All of them. <laughs> including their father. <laughs> all of us have sinned and come short of the glory. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Mary raised a boy that never sinned, never one time was there any guile found in his mouth. Never one time was there any sinful thoughts that echoed and kept in his mind. They may have passed through because he was tempted at all points like as we are. But he was perfect all the days of his life. He was the perfect son of the living God and the perfect son unto Mary and Joseph until the day he went to the cross. And he was perfect when he died. He was perfect when he went to the tomb. He was perfect when he rose from the dead. And he's perfect now. And he said to the right hand of God and he's my intercessor hallelujah praise God I've got a perfect savior and I need that to get to heaven and thank God for that but Mary she suffered like no other woman probably on the occasion she was there at the cross remember her heart was broke she saw him come down the Via Della Rosa carrying the old rugged cross she saw him after he'd been beaten with the cat of nine tails she saw her son that she brought forth in this world she saw the blood, the gore, the ugliness, his head swollen, some say twice the size it was. His eyes were bloodshot, the beard had been plucked, and the blood flowing from his chin all over his body was blood. She saw it and she probably agonized. Oh my, put yourself in the, with your children. How would you feel to see your son suffering like that? Some of us would probably try to go over and console him. 
when he walked by, she would try to take a, maybe a, a rag and wipe some of the blood off. Maybe the tears streamed down the eyes of Mary. She's here in this upper room. Atmosphere's getting ready to change some more. It was changing already to some degree because Jesus rose from the dead and created another atmosphere. But when he went back to heaven and the Holy Ghost came, another atmosphere was beginning. Mary stood there at the cross and Jesus spoke seven times from the old rugged cross, at least we know of seven different utterances. And one of them said to John, the beloved, Behold thy mother. John, take care of mama. Take care of John. Take care of mama, John. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus, one of his last thoughts before he gave up the ghost and died? Take care of Mary. Take care of my mama. Boy, what a, what a, what a Savior. What a, what a God who cared about somebody like Mary who in many people's minds were just a vehicle to be used to bring forth Jesus in the world, and that she was, but she was a woman highly favored of God, and God showed high favor to her there on that memorable day when he said, John, take care of Mama. I believe she looked up, maybe she stretched out her arms and said to Jesus, Son, I love you. I love you. Remember when she told those at Canaan, Canaan at the wedding, whatsoever he bid you do, do it. She, wanted to, she, she knew He was God. She knew He was different. She knew He was the Son of God. She lived that all of her life. And I'm not sure how all that transpired and how it all worked out. But here she is in this upper room, along with the other Mary, and I believe maybe Mary Magdalene was there. I thought they started having a testimony meeting about, about now, changing the atmosphere. They were waiting 10 days for the power to come, for the promise to be fulfilled. And Mary Magdalene got up and said, I want to testify. Mary Magdalene had seven devils in her. She said, I just want to testify. Hey, I saw Him. I saw the risen Savior. She said, I remember when I was nothing. I remember when I was low down. I remember when I was scum of the earth. I remember when I was so possessed of the devil that I couldn't think I'd ever have any hope. I thought my life was over. I thought it was ruined forever. But one day Jesus came by. One day Jesus cast the demons out of my life. I'm a brand new person. I just want to testify right here in the upper room. See, before prayer, maybe there was some praise time. Praise and prayer goes together. She said, I just want to praise the Lord. Don't ever forget to praise God when you're in church. I mean, you can do it silently, you can do it audibly, but you ought to praise God. Praise God. Amen. I mean, when something said rings your bell, say praise God. I said this one, the thing that rings the bell in heaven is sowing on earth. Amen. And when we win a soul to Christ, it rings the bell in heaven. There will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Not the angels, because they can't sing the song we sing. They can't sing, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, because they've not been redeemed. Who's singing the song? The saints of God that are there in the presence of the angels. And they rejoice. I don't know how it is. They probably got a big marquee up there and a big camera. And when it's so good to say, they flash it across heaven's neon signs. And everybody says, whoo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for the cross. And a glory in the Lamb and glory in the resurrected Savior. And so it was that they rejoicing together. And so Mary Magdalene, I figured old St. Peter was there. You know, Peter's like most of us. Let me see how many of you identify with Peter. Always sticking his foot in his mouth. Raise your hand. That was before Pentecost. Maybe before Calvary, but especially before Pentecost. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. I've said enough stuff bad to write a book that I wish I'd never said. I'm not talking about cussing. To God be the glory, I've never cussed in my life. I mean, I'm talking about God's name in vain, etc. I've just never done that. I never got that habit when I was a kid, so it's just never in my, in my conscious or brain to do it. 
Now, I've gotten mad enough, probably. You know, I, I could have. I'd say, words, I'd say words like this. Dang, blessed it. Now, that's bad enough. You say, preacher, that's not even getting close to cussing. It was for me. And I got convicted as he was saying that word, and I probably shouldn't have said it then. I just came picture my Lord saying words like sometimes we say. But the fact is, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be like Him more and more every day. And the fact is, He intercedes for us in heaven, hoping, helping us to live pure lives. I got chasing a rabbit there just a minute, like Darren talked about, and I forgot where I was at. It'll come back in just a few moments. If it don't, I'll just... It's better to chase a rabbit and catch it than to chase a skunk and catch it. I mean, you know... The, 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 the climate of the church can be changed by the Holy Ghost of God working in our lives. And I'm glad He does. I'm glad He can. And how He can change all of us from what we was. God's been working on me a long time. A long time. God's took me through the cleaners a long time. I'm so glad He does. I'm glad He has. Sometimes I want to grumble. Sometimes I want to complain. Sometimes I want to say, boy, why? But the end, you look back and say, why not? Why not? Why do I have to go through certain things that other folks haven't gone through? Then why not? And the question, why not? Why not you? Who am I? Am I better than somebody else not to go through some trials and tribulations that other folks have gone through? Must I go through the flowery beds of ease while others fought through bloody seas to win the prize? Who am I that I should not suffer? Who are you and I for not suffer? Most of us are going to suffer a lot more before we die. As we age in life, or if it's not a tragedy that takes us out of here, as we age in life, we're going to suffer tremendously. And nobody likes to suffer. I don't. I'm, I'm sort of like a big baby when I suffer. If you don't believe it, ask my wife. When she comes over and pats me on the head, it feels so good. I'm giving instructions right now, Nancy. Just listen carefully. When I go home and she just pats me on the head, how is my baby doing? And I say, he's doing all right. One more time on the left side, Lee. That's medicine for the body. But I'm telling you, all of us are going to get old, and I try to comfort her as much as I possibly can. Get up, woman, when you got something you got to eat. <laughs> I've watched a lot of folks age. I've been around a pastor as a pastor for two years and watched a lot of folks live and die. I don't, not braggadociously, over 420 sermons I preached or helped preach funerals since I've been pastor here. I keep a ledger of those. A lot of folks have come and gone that I know personally. And as you get older and you see folks that you love perish or go the way, go the way of death, you realize it's inevitably someday that will come to you. And we push it as far back as we possibly can from our mind. Don't get morbid. Just keep living. Enjoy every day. Try to be a blessing as you can to go through the day. But whoever was there, St. Peter, that was sticking his foot in his mouth, what it was. That's where it was at a while ago. But he stuck his foot in his mouth, and I've done it several times in my life. But Peter would be inevitably sticking his foot in his mouth. It won't, it won't be me denying you. Others may deny you. Others may let you down. But Lord, not me. Well, be careful about being braggadocious about your spirituality. Sometimes when you think you're up here, you're really down here. And the devil has a way of bombarding your mind to think you're better than you are. Most of us are just old sinners who are ready to save by grace. 
got to remind ourselves where we come from so we know where we're going. Sometimes you got to go back so you know where you're going. He says, remember, go back to Bethel. Uh, remember where you come from. Remember what you used to be. Don't ever forget you was a sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing scallywag on your way to hell. But the divine providence of God reached down where you was at and it reached farther down than you could reach up. Love lifted me up from the miry clay, planted my foot on the solid rock, established my going, put a song in my heart, and praise God tonight. There's a loving God who cares about you. He cares about me. And he'll do everything he can to keep you out of hell and take you to heaven by his marvelous grace. It's wonderful to be a child of the living God. And we ought to be happy. And the atmosphere ought to change. Because of the Holy Ghost that dwells within us. It won't happen accidentally. It'll happen when we begin to testify. Privately and publicly to what God's done in our life. I think we got over it. I think we get over it too soon. Peter never grumbled after Pentecost. He stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a powerful sermon. He may have had a little conflict with the Apostle Paul along the way, but Peter was different. He never—he was the humble preacher. Read his epistles, Peter. Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, and God will raise you up. Peter learned a valuable lesson. And remember also, and you know it well, it's been told so many times, Jesus prophesied Peter would die. He knew he was going to die for the cause. And when his time came to crucify him, historical his history says, I won't be crucified like my Savior. Turn me upside down. Just turn me upside down. I'll be crucified face down. I'm not worthy to be face up. Well, what a man, the Apostle Peter. We probably go on with characters in the upper room that day. But out of that 120, there was something begin to happen. New values begin to change. A new life began to take place. Something was working sturdily. They was praying. They was praising. They were supplicating there with the women and the brethren, however they did that. And in those days, Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names were about 120. Men and brethren, the Scriptures must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake, which concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Peter began to take the lead, and as he did oftentimes, and to take the leadership. May God bless Peter's memory. But I simply say this tonight, and I get, and I'm I'll close. The church expectancy should be a climate of expectancy. They were expecting something to happen. A church should be a climate of expectation. Charles Spurgeon said, "The reason why you don't have anything happen, you don't expect anything to happen." Boy, that's a powerful rebuke. Yeah, young guy, preacher comes back. Spurgeon said, "I'm just discouraged. I have nobody to get saved." He says, "Well, you don't expect people to get saved every service, do you?" He says, "Well, no." And he said, "That's your problem." That's your problem. You come to church with no expectation. We're going to come to church expecting somebody to get right with God. And it's easy for any of us, preacher, right down, just to get used to the status quo. You know what changes a church? is crying babies. You all agree with that? Well, better agree with it because you're going to say something. Little crying babies make a noise, don't they? I heard one while ago crying. I'd rather have crying babies than none at all. Now, my daddy said they're like New Year's resolutions. You've got to carry them out. Sometimes you, sometimes you have to. You've got to deal with them. Sometimes you've got to take them to the nursery room. Sometimes they've got to be dealt with by their parents or whoever. But the fact is, crying children being birthed into the kingdom 
when people are crying as new converts, oh God, save my wretched soul, and they're birthed by divine dimension, by divine power, by the Holy Ghost of God, into the family of God. And new converts sometimes don't know how to do everything. Sometimes they don't know how to pray. Sometimes they don't know how to do their Bible. Sometimes they're sort of strangers to us. We've got to help lead them along and tend to them like little babies. As babies desire the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. We've got to help them. I didn't know much when I started. My parents helped me tremendously. My Sunday school teachers helped me tremendously. Our youth workers helped us tremendously in doing things in contests and games and so forth, learning the Word of God. They will mark by several things, and I simply mentioned the truth, and I'll be through. They were marked by the truth. Look at chapter 2, and I'll be through. And they continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. If you go down the word fellowship, you'll find the word tie, T-I-E, tie, bound together with fellowship. They were bound together in fellowship. Breaking of bread, there's the table, the table of fellowship. And then in prayers, there's the throne room mentioned. They went before the throne of God. How did the atmosphere change? They continued steadfastly in these particular aspects of what happened after Pentecost came, after the Holy Ghost came on that memorable day after Jesus went back to heaven and ten days after that, and Jesus Christ went and sat down and the Holy Ghost came in a marvelous way and filled every individual with the power of the Holy Spirit. And boy, it was an exciting day. People outside thought they were drunk in the middle of the day. Something, what was he doing? I mean, people thought they were drunk. I mean, they had to be doing something. I mean, they had to be doing something. You reckon one every once in a while shouted or said hallelujah or something? Amen. Maybe somebody got excited every once in a while. Maybe old Peter said, this is, this is that. Joel prophesied in chapter, this is that. Maybe he got up and preached a sermon or two before he got outside and preached to everybody else. The church was in a climate of expectancy. The truth, the body of doctrine. What more can we learn about the Christ? What more can we learn about Jesus? The truth will make us free. You don't need fabrications. You don't need lies. You don't need hypotheses. You don't need a lot of theories. You need the fact. This is a very, very truthful book. There's no lies in it from cover to cover. It's all truth. In the beginning, God, that's true. It tells us everything we need to know about life, where we come from, who we are, and where we're heading. That's all right here in this book. This is a precious book. Love divine. Love the book because it's true. Body of doctrine. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, I will teach you all things that you need to know. Jesus said, come unto me and learn of me and I will uh, help bear your burdens and uh, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll help you. How am I going to help you? I'm going away. I can't go with you all the way because I've got to go back to heaven. But I'll send the comforter. I'll send the Holy Ghost to go. Mary, it won't be long the comforter come. She was in the upper room. Can you imagine when the comforter came and the comforter's walking along with Mary, the mother of Jesus said, Mary, it's going to be all right. Jesus is now sends her back to heaven at the right hand of the Father. You'll see him one of these days. Thank you so much, Mary, for being the vehicle to bring the Lord Jesus in this world, the comforter. And she's comforted by the hand of the Holy Ghost of God now. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful thought that is. Is the Holy Ghost welcome here? It's not a Pentecostal term, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Bible term, Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine, body of doctrine. I'm not interested in just a lot of cliches. It's Bible doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, 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 teaching. And that's what we've got to have is teaching of the Word of God. 
So it does something on the inside. The truth will make you free. And I'm glad when you get uh, sick, you lose your taste for food. You know, when I'm going through some of my whatever I got, sometimes I just don't want to eat much. I've been losing a few pounds. I don't like to lose it the tough way. They're just not interested in eating as much as they used to. And uh, you lose your appetite. Well, if you're not careful, you lose your appetite spiritually when you get sick spiritually. You don't want to eat. You'll eat junk food. There's nothing better than a bag of chips and a gallon of ice cream. And all God's children said, Amen, hallelujah. Especially Tommy. He can eat a gallon a night. That'll cure your liver. It'll make it quiver, but it'll make you love you. But how sad it is that we eat junk food. We nibble on the Word of God and eat full course of the world. Taking a full course of the Word of God will make a difference in your life. Come to me and learn of me. That's what it says. And He wants us to get the truth. And so He said, they steadfastly, continue steadfastly in the doctrine. I close with this. It won't take long to do it. I'll just take a few minutes if it's all right. In Genesis, He's the seed of woman. In Exodus, He's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, He's our high priest. In Numbers, He's the water from the rock. In Deuteronomy, He's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, He's the captain of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Judges, He's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, He's our kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, He's the despised and rejected king. In Kings and Chronicles, He's the king of kings. In Ezra, He's the rebuilder of the temple. In Nehemiah, He's the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, He's our Mordecai. In Job, He is our ever-living Redeemer. In Psalms, He's our shepherd. In Proverbs, He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Ecclesiastes, He's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, He's the chiefest among 10,000. In Isaiah, He's the man of sorrows, despised and rejected. In Jeremiah, He's our righteous branch. In Lamentation, He's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, He's the kindness of man and the bright and glory of the Lord. In Daniel, He's the smiting stone. In Hosea, He's the faithful husband married to an adulterous wife. In Joel, He's the Lord of bounty. In Amos, he's the Lord of judgment. In Obadiah, he's the liver upon Mount Zion. In Jonah, he's the pit three days and three nights. He's in the pit three days and three nights. In Micah, he's the everlasting ruler. In Nahum, he's the stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he's the God anointed who goes forth for the salvation of his people. In Zephaniah, he's the mighty Savior. In Haggai, he's the ever-present one. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open in the house of King David. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the Messiah, the King of the Jews. In Mark, he's the obedient servant of the Father. In Luke, he's the Son of Man. In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he's the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's our justifier. In Corinthians, he's the one who shall reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the one whom we have redemption. In Philippians, he's the supplier of all of our needs. In Colossians, he's the preeminent one. In Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. In First Timothy, he's the only mediator between God and man. In Second Timothy, he's the crowning Lord and righteous judge. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the he's our partner. In Hebrews, he's our eternal high priest. In James, he's our great physician. In First Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In Second Peter, he's the Lord coming unexpectedly as a thief in the night. In the epistles of John, he is love. In Jude, he's the Lord of vengeance. In Revelation, he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Hallelujah. Praise God. Open up the book and see him where he, what he is in every book of the Bible. Let's magnify him. Let's get him on the inside so he come out on the outside and change the whole atmosphere of our church and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen.
let's see what God wants to do with us for us. I can read you some more what he is in every book, what his name is. There's about 70 names for Jesus in the Bible. Messiah, Truth, Holy One of Israel, Bread of Life, Branch, Holy One. I don't read all those. I might just take them to bed with me tonight. Climate for change. Let's take